David Gregory, uh, who's a sports agent, lawyer with Bull Rush Sports and one of our college football and NFL insiders joining us in studio. I know you've worked with uh, the Colts and Jake Witt, a youper out of northern Michigan, uh, drafted by the Colts on IR right now with a previous hip injury, but they didn't cut him, release him, do an injury settlement. Uh, that was big. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, Colts, they, they just can't give up on Taylor right now, in my mind. Well, I think you're right, but the question always in the Colts, and this is nothing that isn't stated in the media, right. is who's really in charge? Is it Ursay or is it uh, the GM, Chris Ballard? I, and I've dealt with Chris Ballard. I think he's an outstanding GM. But Ursay is kind of outspoken and, and goes his own way sometimes. Yeah, and a lot of owners do that. You know, go Jerry Jones, you go, I said this, when the teams aren't their bread and, buddy, or bread and butter money, and, and, and it becomes a hobby for guys who are just loaded, rich, or women, and I, I think they treat the team differently. I really do. They, there's not a business model. It's more of like, hey, you know what? Uh, I'm from the Ursay family. Uh, we have this. It's his team. Like I always say, if, if you don't like the guy that owns the business, find another job, right? Well, if you're a billionaire, which they all are, by yeah. definition, uh, you, get to, uh, you get to write some of the rules the way you want them to. Okay, so uh, what's going on the last couple of days? And I know you just began your journey a year ago uh, as a sports agent uh, with Bull Rush Sports. Uh, but when we hear this, okay, are they going to get an uh, injury deal settlement done? Uh, the practice squad uh, to making the 53-man roster. Uh, there's a big money gap there. And also there's a lot of moving and shaking going on with agents and with NFL front offices right now. Yeah, you're exactly right, Bill. If, you're, uh, if you make the 53-man roster, you're making at least the league minimum, which is 750000 for a rookie uh, this year, or maybe more, but that's the minimum. If you're, on the, if you're on injured reserve and you have a split contract, which most of them do in late rounds, meaning I get the league minimum if I'm on active roster and then I get a lower minimum uh, for players on injured reserve, that's 450000 this year. And if you're on practice squad, uh, as opposed to active roster or injured reserve, you make somewhere in the neighborhood of 1400 a week. Mm. And, so, and, and sometimes they can be bigger deals. It just depends on the team has the option, right? There's, yes. Is there, is there a set salary cap for the practice squad that you can't go above so teams won't load up? It's part of the overall salary cap, and maybe some players might merit a little bit above the minimum. But most guys are getting a league minimum. For practice squad players, and you see, the, like they did it with Coda uh, with the Lions, who was looking like a guy that might grab that last wide receiver spot, got hurt. Uh, when you see the injury settlement, it just means they said, "What well, you're hurt? We're going to do this, this, and you get this, right?" And you release us of all future claims against us or for workers' comp claims, or, right? Workers' comp, a lawsuit, anything. So you get a lump sum settlement, and you release the team from liability. So the team just gives you. Any idea what injury settlements usually are? You know, I actually don't. It's my first year, and I haven't had a guy who had an injury settlement. So it probably depends somewhat on the player and the severity of the injury. Right, and then the player hopes they can rehab, get back, and then they got a, uh, money there for, I guess, to pay your medical bills, or is the team covered? Uh, if you're hurt playing for the team, does the team have to take care of your medical bills? During the time of injury, uh, they're responsible for your medical bills. So... When that's the other thing is the team will probably cut off their liability for medical coverage 
along with this. And that's part of the lump sum that here, take care of your rehab, your injury. This is what we're going to do. Exactly. It's probably a set number. They have a formula, right? I'm I'm guessing. I'm sure they do. They have a formula for most things. Yeah. Speaking of formulas, uh, you were on the show Monday when we introduced our two-year partnership with Bull Rush uh, Sports and you being a sports agent a year into the game, focusing on Michigan players, coaches, and NIL. What was interesting is I saw you at the Michigan Sports Network a client golf event yesterday at St. Ives at the Tellymore Golf Resort, and all of us were sitting there talking about NIL money, about Harbaugh saying players should get paid. Is there a formula or a system, uh, David, that you think would work that doesn't uh, get caught in court uh, with Title IX, that there's a way for players to get paid when it comes to college football, if not college sports? Possibly. What I will say is there's a formula for legislation in California that passed their their assembly and is in their state senate that comes up with a pretty interesting model. And what was it? Uh, essentially, it's this. Uh, any, any sport that makes revenue over and above its cost of scholarship has to s- split revenues. And that is only... Football, men's basketball, women's basketball, generally speaking. How do they get by Title IX with that? And you're a lawyer and a sports agent. That's my only point. I think there is a, what Harbaugh said Monday in his press conference, I think there's an easy player pool plan with the billions that are out there. These guys aren't going to get millions of dollars personally, but there's going to be a good chunk of change. The only hurdle is when you're a federally funded institution and you are – you are giving money to that school. Title IX means it has to be equal opportunity, access, those things. How do they get around it from a legal side? Well, in California, what they've done is say that they're going to treat revenue-generating athletes different than non-revenue-generating athletes. That could be an issue, but that's the first step. Second step is they're going to have male and female athletes in the revenue-generating sports share equally in the money. I think that's fair. Well, it's, it's certainly that might be a creative best, way around it. That might be the best piece of legislation out of California I've ever, ever endorsed. <laughs> <laughs> well, like California or not, they're very influential. Uh, you know, they were the first state that passed an NIL law back in 2019. They have it at the high school level, I think, too, right? I believe so. And they're, they're the ones that really started the process of forcing the NCAA's hand. And the O'Bannon brothers, naturally the case, I went to the yes. Supreme Court, right? So I, I, I've always said this. Back in this Title IX debate fight, money, uh, hey, our team travels on a jet, uh, the women should, that if you're a revenue-producing sport, like where ten, you know, Tennessee back in the day with Pat Summit was big, women's basketball, Geno now at UConn. If they're making more than the men, then I, they, they get better amenities. I'm all for that. So what I'm hearing without reading that piece of legislation in California that if you take the revenue-producing sports and sports that make more than the cost of your scholarship, yes, because I think there has to be a base on what your scholarship is valued yes. as part of this process, right? They, re- they report the value of the, uh, every scholarship to the Department of Education every year. So there is a value assigned. So and they get to the tax side of this, right? Well, let's get the IRS involved even more. People love that. Well, right. Uh, if this revenue share would be taxable, but the scholarship probably still would not be taxable because under this 
plan, they're not employees. And that's a whole nother Well, that gets back to the players' union that, you know, Northwestern originally, that story was out there a few years back. If you get into a players' association, then everything you get from that school is going to be taxed. Right. If you're you're an employee, then every benefit you get from your employer. So if the NCAA is smart, which, again, I don't say that too often on this show, David, and David Gregory, sports agent with Bull Rush Sports, one of our uh, legal minds when it comes to college football and the NFL, uh, joining us here on the huge show across Michigan. If you follow that premise, if I'm the NCAA, I'm moving fast on this right now to have something in place so people aren't jacking us with lawsuits. But... Here's the problem. Number one, if athletes were employees... No, I'm not saying employees. I like the other thing about the revenue share. Well, here's the problem. Uh, The NCAA is essentially powerless here right now because the Supreme Court in the Alston case said, you, NCAA, are not exempt from federal antitrust laws, and you can't place limits on benefits that college athletes receive. It violates our federal antitrust laws. So... That is why the NCAA really is powerless to pass comprehensive NIL regulation on their own. They have very general guidelines, and they could not adopt a revenue-sharing model uh, based on that Supreme Court case. So they have to live by their hope in the states and take it upon themselves to do it. Well, right? the NCAA, uh, that's, the states will, will and are filling the vacuum, but the NCAA isn't waiting for that. They're lobbying Congress for national legislation to give them, uh, to clarify that student athletes are not employees, number one, and to give them some antitrust uh, exemption language so then they could pass regulations of their liking. And most sports have the antitrust, right? It, only base, only Major League Baseball has and full antitrust NFL exemption. NFL has it on some levels, right? They do, and there's an there's another exemption, which is, Anything that could be otherwise considered anti-competitive, if, if it's in a collective bargaining agreement, generally is deemed to not violate antitrust law. So all the leagues have collective bargaining agreements with their unions. So uh, away from all the legalese here, sure. off of what Harbaugh said on Monday, the California proposal you just talked about, David, what is the quickest path to being able to have the players share in the billions in all these TV deals? Probably each state passing their own law, uh, authorizing it. Uh, The Michigan legislature would have to pass something. And I could walk you through the numbers of what it would look like. Uh, It it would would have looked like at U of M last year for football. Okay, uh, go we we got a few minutes. Give me those numbers. Well, last year... Hypothetical Hypothetical. If if this California system was in place, U of M football had $87 million in revenue. Uh, Their scholarships are valued at around $7 million. That's $80 million net, and then that would be split 50-50 between the school and the athletes. Oh, my God. And all revenue-generating athletes. Holy so, cow. And schools are going to lose half of their TV money, basically? That's what the California model currently says. Wow. Now, that would, put, but that would have put U of M from a $17 million athletic department surplus to about a $23 million loss. So yeah, now you're going to get where you're going to go here is you'll push for smaller rosters, smaller amount of scholarships. You're going to uh, it's going to be a business model. And I, now I can see based on what you just said, the hypothetical situation, if that California plan was in place at Michigan, like Harbaugh is talking about revenue share, 
That's why the NCAA is panicking right now. They got hit with the Obama brothers case and name, image, and likeness. They need some of that antitrust, or they know they're you're you're going to get to a point here that you got to produce a product for these multi-billion-dollar TV deals. And what if all these players decide that they're going to quasi strike? I'm not recommending that or supporting it, but what if it goes employee crazy? Well, if if they become, it's very possible, and most people think it's very likely that if unless Congress acts, college athletes will be deemed employees under our federal labor laws soon. So then they need a college football players association and a or college of, athletes association. And there are fledgling groups trying to do just that. Uh, and then Man. there would have to be collective bargaining agreements and it would be with whom? The conference, the school, the entire NCAA, probably un- unlikely. How would different levels of football be treated differently? So what Harbaugh was saying on Monday in, in our conversation, and David Gregory, sports agent lawyer with Bull Rush Sports based in West Michigan, he focuses on Michigan football players, coaches, and NIL deals. If the NCAA would have been forward-thinking on this and had something in place, that lawsuit probably never creates this open-ended revenue stream for current NCAA players. Am I right on that? I, I think you're right. They they instead chose to stick their heads in the sand and pretend like this wasn't coming in some form. Yeah, they've done a lot of uh, sticking their head in the sand and other places. Uh, David Gregory, good stuff. That's why I want to get you back in, explain some of it. We'll be talking to you when things happen in college football and the NFL, okay? Thanks a lot, Huge. Yep, David Gregory from Bull Rush Sports. Follow them on Twitter. Is it at Bull underscore Rush? That's exactly at right Bull on Rush Twitter. underscore Sports. That's right. Okay. I, I thought you said you could do a whole show on Twitter handles. Yeah, and there you go. I could do that whole show on Twitter handles. Thank you, David. Really good stuff. Thanks a lot, man. Right, David Gregory uh, in studio.